All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Please be seated. John chapter 17. All 26 verses is a prayer of Jesus, the high priestly prayer, as it is often called. It is the longest recorded prayer that we have of our Lord. It's often called the high priestly prayer because Jesus is interceding, as priests do, on our behalf. Now, it's important to know when Jesus prayed this prayer. Right before his betrayal, arrest, and crucifixion. So right before the most important moment of his life, it should move you then that Jesus prays for you. If Jesus takes the time right before the most important moment that the world has ever known, his crucifixion, to pray for somebody like you, what's your excuse for not praying more often? Jesus doesn't say, I'm too busy saving the world, so I can't pray. No, he says, I am going to save the world now, and so I must pray. If the Son of God is reliant on his Father in prayer, how much more then should you be reliant on your Father in prayer? Luther once said that he had so much to do in the day that he would spend the first three hours in prayer. Now, one word really sticks out in our Lord's prayer, the most important prayer he ever prayed. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Verse 5, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Verse 10, all mine are yours and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. That one word is glory. What is glory? If you think about it too much, if you're like me, you start to get a headache. <laughs> Hard to grasp your head around the concept, but I think we can simplify it to two things. First, briefly, I'll ask you to picture glory in your head. Got it? Okay, I'm willing to bet that most of you pictured light or a glow. That's good. When Moses sees the glory God's backside, his face glows. It was so bright that they had put a veil over his face. They couldn't stand to look at him. When Jesus shows his glory to Peter and James and John on the Mount of Transfiguration, he shines brightly as the sun. 1 John 1 tells us that God is light. And so this is the first part of glory to grasp. It has to do with being. That is, it is how God is. He is glorious simply because he is God. The Hebrew word for glory is kavod, and it means weighty or heavy. And so a person's glory is what is weighty about them. It's what's essential about that person. Second part of glory has to do with reputation. It's not really glory if nobody else acknowledges it. The Latin word gloria means fame or renown. What does a Vikings fan do when his team wins the Super Bowl? He turns the Xbox off. Nobody cares. Nobody else acknowledges it. It's not really glory 
In order to be glory, other people have to recognize it. This is why, at the end, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Everyone will acknowledge his glory. Now, the question for you today is this. Which glory do you acknowledge? Do you love the glory that comes from God or the glory that comes from man? John 12, 43, this is the real problem. They love the glory that comes from man rather than the glory that comes from God. We can put it like this, just cut straight to the chase. Heard this question once. Would you rather be in hell with Jesus or in heaven with the devil? Of course, it's an impossibility because by definition, heaven is where Jesus is and by definition, hell is where he is not. But what the question is asking you is, do you love God and his glory or do you simply love the things that God gets you? Now, we don't have to make that choice in all eternity. We will be in heaven with God and Jesus and it will be glorious and we'll have no pain, no sorrow, no suffering. But in this life, you do have to choose between the glory of God and the glory of man. It's uncomfortable being a Christian, and it's only going to get even more uncomfortable, but that's actually good for us. It's actually good for us that we would cling less to the flesh, to the glory of man, and that we would cling more to Jesus, who is the glory of God. And so this morning we will compare the glory of man to the glory of God to encourage you to pursue the glory of God rather than the glory of man. And we will compare these glories using two categories, time and math. Don't worry, we're not going to do any calculus or anything like that. That'll come in two weeks on Trinity Sunday, where we worship the one God in three persons, one and three and three and one. First, time. How long does man's glory last? As long as his tombstone says it does. It's that little dash between the ears. Not very long. It's ephemeral. It's hard to grasp. It's like vapor. This is why Solomon gets depressed in the book of Ecclesiastes. All is vanity, all is vapor. I'm trying to grab all of this glory for myself, but it's just slipping through my fingers. And the more and more and more you try to grab the glory of man, the more and more anxious you will become because you realize it does not last. Now, we have a coping mechanism for this. It's called nostalgia, living in the past. Because we think, hey, we can keep all the glory back then. This is a common phrase. Oh, what's, uh, what's Bob doing? Oh, he's living in the glory days. Trying to keep it all back there. You ever met a Chicago Bears fan who wasn't living in 1985? That's nostalgia. You can't live there. Eventually it catches up with you. The best illustration of this is nature. My crab apple tree was in full bloom. This past week, it's my favorite time of year to sit out on the patio. Just one problem, it doesn't last. It seemed to last only two days this year. It gets shorter and shorter and shorter. Look at the lilies of the field. Not even Solomon in all his glory was arrayed like one of these. And yet the grass of the field, it's here today and tomorrow, thrown in the fire. Man's glory does not last. On the other hand, God's glory, that's quite another thing. That's eternal. Jesus prays, Father, glorify me in your own presence 
with the glory that I had before the world existed. Jesus has always been glorious. Before the world, during the world, after the world. He is the one who was, is, and is to come. He is before time, after time, outside of time, and in time. This is why God can afford to be so patient, why he is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Because literally, he has all the time in the world in his hands. And so when the Israelites are disobedient, when they rebel against God, God says, fine. <laughs> I've got time. I'll be patient. I'm just going to sit here until you guys all die. So he waits 38 years. That's why the Israelites wander around for 40 years. Because God's patient. But here's the thing. God wants to bring you into the promised land. He wants to bring you into eternity. Jesus prays, this is eternal life. That they know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. He wants you to live forever with him. He wants you to have his glory. The only way to have eternal life is to know the eternal one. It's not about what you know, it is about who you know. And you know him. You know Jesus. And so you have eternal life. Notice the tense. It is not will have in the future, but have in the present. As in you, Don, you, Corey, and yeah, Craig, even you, you have eternal life right now. You will have it in the future, that's true too, but you have it right now. It is yours. And so stop being so short-sighted about things. Take the eternal view. We are so good at taking the short view of things for the glory of man. We like to build stuff, things that don't really last. But we ought to tra uh, change that trend around right now. Start focusing on things that matter. Start focusing on the eternal things. You can't bring your things, you can't bring your boat, you can't bring your golf clubs, you can't bring a whole lot of stuff to heaven with you. But you can bring your children. You can bring others. Start focusing on things like that. And even if you don't have children, or if your children have moved out, think they're too old, the most important thing you can do then is focus that this altar would be here for the next generation, and then the next generation, and then for their grandkids. Because it is there that they will get to know the one true God and Jesus Christ. And by knowing him, they have eternal life. I think that's worth doing. Second category now to compare the glory of God and the glory of man is math. Not calculus, just simple math. You see, when man calculates for glory, he thinks that it's a zero-sum game. As in there's a limited quantity of glory out there. It's like Bitcoin. There's only 21 million. And so what it means is that if you have glory, it means that I have less of it. This is why friends stop being friends. Because one friend is jealous of another friend's glory. Athletes will win championships, and yet they won't be happy because one of their teammates got more praise, got more glory than they did. 
bosses want to keep all the glory for themselves sometimes. They'll take all the credit, suppress their employees, refuse to give them a promotion because they think that somehow it makes them more glorious. This happens in families too, all the time. Now because man thinks that glory is a zero-sum game, means that we try to get it all to the detriment of others. Screw the other guy. That's our mentality. In a word, man gets glory through getting. Getting money. Getting clout. Getting another grain bin so we can throw our success in, like the parable says. Getting our name on an Ivy League institution's building. This is wildly different than how God calculates glory. God doesn't think glory is a zero-sum game. That's because God is infinitely glorious. He always has been glorious. And somehow, as time continues, he gets more and more glorious. Jesus prays glorify, as in add glory to your Son, that the Son may glorify, add glory to you. In a word, God achieves glory through giving. Remember that an important aspect of glory is reputation. And God's reputation is on the line with this creation. If he does not restore, if he does not redeem this fallen creation, then he truly has no glory. And so he needs to. He needs to redeem the world for his glory. And so when Jesus prays, Father, glorify your son, you know what he's really praying? Father, crucify me. That's our Lord's prayer. Because the Father is glorified through giving his Son to the world. And the Son is glorified by giving his life. God doesn't get glory by building up another grain bin and throwing all his success in there. Rather, he gets glory by taking the bread and saying, this is my body given for you. God's not interested in putting his name on an Ivy League institution. Besides, they took his name off years, 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 years ago. He'd rather put his name on you. Jesus is glorified in saving sinners. He actually prays this. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Jesus is glorified in you. <laughs> He's glorified in saving sinners. Now, what's the price of spreading his glory and putting his name on you? It's not dollars, it's not another donation to the hedge fund, but it is blood. Blood that is still being poured out for your forgiveness. God is a God who shares his glory and yet becomes even more glorious. The Transfiguration hymn got it absolutely right. O wondrous type, O vision fair, of glory that the church may share. Now this should wildly change your calculations about life and glory. Stop getting and getting and getting. It's like eating a bag of Doritos. You ever eat a Dorito and you think, oh, I can stop now? No, you can't. You're disgusted with yourself because you eat it and you know it's gross. Except you need to eat the whole bag because you think somehow you're going to get more satisfied that way. But when you eat the entire bag, I'm not, I'm not talking about a small bag, I'm talking about the big bag that you get at Costco, how do you feel? Gross! That's how it is to chase the glory of man. You can chase it and chase it and chase it and get and get and get, but you will never be satisfied. Glory, true glory, is only achieved through giving. Just like God. Give and give and give. There is something so admirable about the young schoolboy who goes out to the fields to run. He never paces himself. 
He always thinks, I'm never going to run out of energy. I'm just going to sprint all this two-mile race, whatever it is. It is naive, but it is admirable. And that's how you should think about glory. Give it all away. We often think that being a disciple means we empty ourselves of our glory and give it to Christ. Okay, that's true, but you will find that once you empty yourself of that glory, God just fills you up with more glory. St. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3, we are moving from glory to glory. To God alone be all glory, dominion, and power, now and forever. Amen.